Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Blue Ngo, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's learn together. Hi, Gavin. Thank you so much for joining us today in the studio. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, we were just talking about how, you know, after COVID, we've done so many virtual recordings and this is your first one in person. This is my first one in person. I've done a couple yeah. on online yeah. yeah, through whatever platform they're using. But yes, this is my first yeah. one in person. The chance of talking in person is always different. So we are excited and really glad that you could make it. I'm happy um, to be here. Yeah, and uh, because you're here today, we would love to know more about you, especially for our audience. Obviously, our team has done a lot of research on who you are and your work, um, but I would always love to let yourself introduce yourself to our audience, um, especially in the context of your life story so far, your professional background and how you came to be here today, talking to us about work motivation in the context of well-being. So fire away. Sure. So um, I'm uh, Gavin Slamp. I uh I'm a senior lecturer in the Center for Wellbeing Science in the Melbourne Graduate School of Education at the University of Melbourne. I've been there since 2013. It was formerly the Center for Positive Psychology, although they had a, a name change about a year or, or so ago. No. Yeah. Um, so my work there, I do a, a range of different things. I do a, a teaching. I do a lot of teaching there. I teach at the undergraduate level. I teach at the postgraduate level as well. So we teach uh, in well-being. You know, our most popular subject at the well at the the undergraduate level is called well-being, motivation, and performance. Um, and then we also teach masters programs around well-being as well. So we have the masters of applied positive psychology. Uh, we run that as well. Uh, so that's a little bit of my, my teaching. I do research as well. So my research obviously centers on the workplace. My background is in organizational psychology. So I studied the doctor of organizational psychology at Monash. I mm. uh, graduated around nine or 10 years ago now. And that's when uh, uh, I got interested in doing research. Part of my doctoral thesis was on work motivation. Uh, I was obviously interested in the area. Uh, its relationship with well-being, and then I've continued doing research on it since then. Um, so that was yeah, about a, a, about a decade ago. Um, wow. And so now I've yeah, continued yeah. doing that. That's yeah. sort of work now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it seems like you've been doing research on work motivation for a very long time, and you're still continuing on. And uh, you you said you you got interested in the topic, you know, while you were studying. How did you get that inspiration to? pursue this kind of research because it's very specific. Yes. Well, I was always interested in how people function at work. And I think that's what drew me to study organizational psychology. So yeah. organizational psychology is a branch of psychology, um, you know, like clinical psychology, health psychology, and so on. Yeah. Um, and it's focused on how people function best at work, yeah. uh, how to make work more enjoyable, 
how to help people feel more engaged and less burned out in their work, mm. um, organizational culture, all these sort of things come into organizational psychology. And yeah. I, I did a lot of reading. I had to find a, you know, a, a topic to yeah. do research on yeah. know, as a student back then. Um, work motivation. I, I came from the general motivation literature. Yeah. So I did a lot of reading around motivation generally. So sport, um, you know, in school. Uh, and a lot of parallels uh, existed in the workplace uh, context as well. So yeah. uh, that's when I started, yeah, applying th these different concepts and theories to the workplace to do research around that. Yeah, um, yeah particularly looking about how to foster high quality types of motivation mm -hmm. yeah. and then how that relates with well-being in yeah. the workplace. Yeah. yeah, that's very interesting. And we'll be talking about that in the interview bit of this conversation. And I'm excited. Sure. Because our team is also really excited about this topic. And I feel like after a couple of years of, you know, pandemic working from home, you know, not being able to get interaction with your colleagues and a lot of people changing career, great resignation, all that factors will probably be touched on today. And I'm excited that we're talking about that. Um, but before we do that, we always do a fun thing. We call it Have You Met Gavin? because we want to let the audience get to know you a bit better, um, ourselves we want to get to know you a bit better, and we want to get some recommendations from you on five topics. Are you ready? <laughs> okay, okay. Yep. Um, I know you read a lot, so what would be um, a book recommendation from you? Oh, I, I do read a lot. I tend not to read much nonfiction these days. <laughs> some busy read. Well, sorry, I tend not to read much fiction these days because I do a lot of nonfiction reading with textbooks and so on. So what, what sort of recommendations do you want? Do you want a nonfiction recommendation textbook or <laughs> probably not very exciting um, or do you like a, a fiction I sort think, of novel um, i think anything that would spark interest in people so maybe one fiction and one non-fiction okay yeah uh so non-fiction um my colleague wrote a book on job crafting which we may uh touch on it's called personalization uh at work okay uh rob baker he has a ted talk if people are interested um Ooh. So uh, that's uh, a topic that I also study because it's related to, to yeah. motivation at work. Yeah. So it's a very good book, very practical. Okay. Um, so uh, I highly recommend that one. Yeah. Um, in terms of fiction, it's been a while since I've actually read a fiction book, but uh, some that I did really enjoy that were I couldn't put down were uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo I really enjoyed. Oh, yeah. Um, I've heard so much about that. haven't read it, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was quite a while back when I read yeah. that one, probably about a decade ago now. Yeah. But it was a very good book. I ended up was reading. Was that made it. into a movie at one yes. point? Yeah. yeah, two movies actually. It's, two um, movies. Okay. Yeah, I have a Swedish version of it. The 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 author was Swedish, I think. Okay. So they have a Swedish version of the movie, and then very an English version of the movie. Yeah. And both of them are very good. So yeah. I highly recommend those. And they have a trilogy actually. Oh, yeah. you kind of answered the next question, which is about a movie. But besides that, would you recommend any other movie? Oh yeah, I mean, I could recommend a lot of different movies. Yeah, I love, go for it. Uh, my favorite movies are probably from the 1980s, probably showing my age now, because that was when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I love Star Wars, obviously. Oh, we the, all do. Uh, yeah. The original trilogy, I love that. Yeah. Um, Back to the Future, I love that trilogy. Indiana mm. Jones, all these types of ones. So th those are probably movies that most people have seen. Yeah. 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 But uh, no, I do. I do. I do love those movies. I watch yeah. them over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, they're classics and, you know, can never go wrong. So agree with you. Yeah. Um, all right. We definitely have to ask this question. What's your favorite podcast? Oh, my favorite podcast. Well, 
I do a lot of, and I think because I work in well-being, I uh, I <laughs> listen to podcasts which have got nothing to do with with well-being. So <laughs> okay. I quite enjoy true crime uh, oh, podcasts. Right. Yeah. Which is your favorite true crime podcast? Uh, I, I listen to one called Case File, which is does a lot of Australian cases. Um, yeah. They do a lot of and go, the the amount of research that they they get on these cases and the the information is, I'm always uh, amazed by how much they can get and you know how much I can learn about these different cases and detective work, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, I just find fascinating. So yeah, I do a lot of uh, a lot of listening to those, particularly while I'm know exercising or going jogging or something like that yeah very interesting another one that's probably a bit more positive is uh conversations podcast on the abc okay yeah conversations yeah, that's a good one yeah. yeah i was like it has nothing to do with well-being true crimes okay very interesting <laughs> but again interest right yeah. um it shows that you're interested in different things so well, yeah. that's that's fun um and what about a role model or a famous role model of yours Famous role model. Yes, this is this is a difficult one. I, I would have to say someone like uh, David Attenborough. Um, oh, if I had to pick someone who's famous. Amazing. He's 96 years old now and he's yeah, still, I, I think he's still doing He's like a stuff. gun. He doesn't yeah. stop. No, he doesn't. He yeah. doesn't know how to stop, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I hope he doesn't stop. He's yeah. just amazing. Yeah. Same. I, yeah. I love his documentaries. I, his voice. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. I know. Yeah. So um, I think yeah. he... The way he can pull you in and get you interested about yeah. animals and nature and yeah, yeah. So I really like. Actually, it's really it. good for your well-being as well, right? Because like when you watch these documentaries, I don't know. Like just there's just that effect of like getting in the zone or zoning in or zoning out at the same time. Yeah, that's really just therapeutic. Yes, I, really I find it is. Yeah, certainly personally, the literature. Uh, yeah. Well, it's not my research area, but the literature seems to show a, a relationship between getting exposed to nature or being in nature and yeah. well-being. Um, and certainly I feel better after watching these yeah. you know, documentaries. I, I find them very engaging and yeah. seeing all these amazing places yeah. that I want to go one day. Yeah, yeah, mm. amazing. I think we've already touched on that um, in this podcast series as well about you know the relationship between nature and well-being. Um, it will probably come up before this episode or after. I'm not sure. But yes, you're right. It's a, it's a really great way to just improve your well-being while actually getting some exercise in. And we know how important that is yeah. you know, to be in nature and, you know, doing all this immersive experience. That's, That's right. not in front of a screen. Yes. Um, yeah. Great. And finally, we want to know about a course you've attended. Uh, given that you are also teaching, this might be a bit interesting. So if you don't have a course you've attended, maybe a course you've taught? So a course I've... <laughs> I was trying to think of a course I've attended. Um, yeah. So... Maybe one, both. <laughs> I don't think I've done anything recently. I mean, the, yeah. the the probably the most recent one was probably five years ago. I did a, a brief course in computer programming because I think it would help me oh. with my research. A lot right. of our statistics that we do, we have to yeah. know something about computer programming, even though I don't think I know a great deal. So, yeah. Yeah, that was probably the most recent one I did. I Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, I mean, the ones that we teach obviously are more about well-being. So well-being, motivation, performance, our most popular undergraduate subject. Uh, yeah, and we teach a range of subjects uh, in that, in the well-being area, at the master's and undergraduate level. Yeah. Interesting. 
So uh, thank you for the recommendations and for sharing about uh, your background, your interest, and we've got to know you a bit better, Gavin, and now we are ready to take on some of the really tough questions. Okay. We're here for the tough questions today. So the topic of the podcast, as we've mentioned, again, is well-being. We really want to help people improve their well-being in this series of podcasts. But of, of course, each person has a really different take on well-being. So what does well-being mean to you? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think my view of well-being comes from the, well, the scientific or psychological literature. Uh, and I must say, in even in the literature, a lot of people don't agree exactly on what well-being is, but a lot of people do hold the view that it is multidimensional, which means it involves multiple different things. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we could think about it like the weather. Um, so the weather, you know, if, if I were to ask you, you know, what's the weather outside? Um, you know, and you said it's sunny. Yeah. Well, that would give me some information, but it wouldn't give me a full picture because obviously it can be sunny on a very cold day. Yeah. Uh, it can be very windy, all that sort of thing. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, you need to have a multiple different indicators. And I think that's where the literature is sort of going. And so the two main ideas uh, about well-being, if we think about it like that, uh, are that there's um, the what's called the hedonic perspective, and that's uh, more about pleasure and pain. So as long as we're experiencing pleasure uh, and the relative absence of pain, yeah. uh, then we're experiencing well-being from that perspective. Yeah, that one's got a little bit of negative baggage mm. to it uh, because you know it's a lot of people criticize it because it's not very long-lasting. You know, it's very yeah. difficult to have a sense of pleasure and stay there and keep it. Um, you you might not necessarily have a sense of growth from yeah. that type of well-being. Um, and I guess the, the big drawback is that it assumes that all painful experiences are bad when we can learn and grow from negative, painful experiences as well. Yeah. So there's the second view of well-being, which is what's referred to as the eudaimonic perspective, um, comes from a lot of the work of Aristotle, uh, an ancient philosopher. Um, but that's more about, you know, cultivating a sense of meaning and a sense of growth and a sense of purpose yeah. in life. Um, but I like to use the analogy of why do people climb the world's highest mountains? Um, so if you think about Mount Everest, it's actually very dangerous to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could try and climb it, but, you know, you're risking your life. Obviously, a, a certain percentage of people climb at Mount Everest and never come back. Or they might get frostbite. They might learn, lose limbs, yeah. lose friends, all these types of things. So I guess why do they do it? Um, and if you read the books of mountaineers, a lot of them aren't sort of happy stories. They're full of these sort of terrible stories. Okay. Uh, so it might not be a sense of pleasure. Yeah. That might be a little part of it. But a lot of it's about ambition or a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, right. uh, goals about the future, a sense of growth, yeah. uh, development, this sort of thing. Yeah. That's more in line with the the second view of well-being. doesn't have to ex you know be pleasurable to have that uh, mm. type of well-being. So, yeah, it's uh, people sort of talk about it as feeling good, which is the functioning yeah. uh, the, or the first one, and then... Yeah functioning well, which is the, the second one. Mm. Yeah. So having both or a combination of those is yeah. my view of well-being. It's yeah. a very long answer to a question. So. No, but that's yeah. that's interesting because I think uh, some of the guests before you have mentioned both views as well. And I think like the to have a more elaborate discussion about the, the two views might help people that don't really have a background in well-being. And, you know, especially for everyday people. Um, the word well-being get thrown around mm. very easily and we ne don't necessarily understand. For myself, I don't study 
you know, well-being. And whenever I have this kind of discussion, I'm like, that is very interesting because sometimes you just get told you got to be well and, you know, stay well. Yeah. What does that actually mean? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it, it might actually kind of trip you along the way because you're like, oh, I'm not feeling well. Does that mean I don't have any well-being? Yeah. You know, like I, yeah, might, well, might I get think, confusing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the limitation of that first one. It's, yeah, uh, you know, the exactly. hedonic perspective. It's, it's impossible to experience that happiness or pleasure or whatever it is to have those happy feelings and, and just stay that way. Yeah. People go in and out of yeah. that sort of. Yeah. Uh, so, and, you know, when you're going through a tough time, you mm. could still be learning something. Yeah. You could still absolutely. be growing and that could lead to future well-being. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you really need both perspectives. Yeah, totally. Mm. I really like that because um, that reminds me of a book that I'm reading currently called Lost Connections by Johan Hari. Have you read it? No, I haven't read that. Yeah, okay, great. So I have the chance to explain it. Okay, so what's going on at the very beginning of the book is uh, the author said, uh, because the book is about depression, he mentioned the fact that sometimes when you feel something that's wrong, it's not necessarily negative, even though it feels negative at the time because it's actually redirecting you. Mm. And like you were saying, you know, when you're going through tough times or when you're going through difficult things, it actually helps you to improve on your well-being in the future. So I think like that really adds to the literature and all the research that people are doing nowadays, especially because it is such a taboo topic talking about, you know, depression, anxiety and all the, you know, bad things when it comes to well-being. Um, and you mentioned a couple of things that people get wrong, you know, some of the misconceptions mm -hmm. about well-being. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other ones that you've noticed as well besides those ones? Um, yeah, that's that's a good question. So the, the misconceptions of well-being, I think the the big one, and it relates to motivation, is that, uh, you know, money is a very big driver of well-being. Mm. Um, the literature is very nuanced in this area, but, uh, you know, certainly money does matter um, and it helps us, you know, buy freedoms and that sort of thing. But I think people perhaps overestimate the impact that it has yeah. on well-being. Yeah. And if we spend our lives sort of pursuing uh, money or trying to be wealthy, at the expense of other things such as finding a career that we really enjoy or that we want to do that can have detrimental consequences down the future um and you know it, it often does uh i have a colleague who does a lot of coaching and he'll be speaking with people who are very successful yeah uh you know ceos or people who are very senior in their organization um you know their kids are in private schools they've got a very expensive mortgage yeah and they get to their, you know, their midlife and they real they, they sort of have a crisis because they realize this is not what I wanted to do. And now I'm stuck here, you know, because uh, I can't, you know, my kids are obviously got to go to these schools. You know, I have this expensive mortgage. What do I do? Yeah. Uh, and so he, he helps them navigate out of that situation. But a lot of that comes from having the, the, the wrong goals at yeah. the, the outset. So I think uh, a lot of the motivation literature talks about. We'll probably get onto this a bit later, but yeah. but finding about you know what you're interested in and what you enjoy, yeah, you know, focusing on that, um, very interesting. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's more yeah. important, more sustainable. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's one of the the big misconceptions. Uh, another misconception, which I'm not sure really is a, a misconception anymore, but it certainly was for quite a long time, was just people how people how people talked about well being. A lot of people talked about well being as the absence of negative psychological states yeah. such as depression anxiety stress burnout these types of things um and yes those things are unpleasant 
to experience, but there's more to life than just not having those, you know? So that's why the positive psychology movement came about. So it's more about trying to cultivate the presence of positive things in life. So having a sense of meaning and purpose, having, you know, goals for the future, um, having people we care about, uh, you know, around us and uh, feeling connected with other people, all these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's sort of moving in that direction now. Yeah. Yeah. That hits really close to home. It was actually the first few chapters of the book I just mentioned. He talks about the exact same thing you just talked about. So I find that to be very interesting. And I feel like there were like nine different causes of, um, depression that was mentioned. I don't remember them all, but they seem to be all related to some of the misconceptions that people have. And today we're actually talking about work. Yeah. So that's the topic of interest for you. So I know this part, you get really sparked up and talk about like all the research and work you've done. Um, So let's start with the basic. Mm -hmm. How do you define work motivation? Yeah, so work motivation. I mean, a lot of people think about work motivation in terms of the amount of motivation that you have. So you're either very motivated to do something or you're, you're not very motivated to do something. And sort of they think about it by that on that spectrum, you know, by degree, I suppose. Yeah. I view it a little bit differently. And this comes from the literature that, that I study. And it's more about the the quality of the motivation rather than the amount of motivation. So yeah. instead of asking how motivated are you, it's more about asking why are you motivated to do what you're doing. Mm. And so you can be motivated to do something for different reasons. If we think about work, um, you could be motivated for purely what's referred to as a purely internal reason. So you just go to work because you're drawn to the work. Mm. You find it enjoyable. Yeah. You find it interesting. You know, you're passionate about it or you perhaps find some sort of value in it that you think you're contributing these sorts of things. Yeah. They're more internal reasons because the motivation is coming from within us. Yeah. Um, Or you could have what's referred to as an external type or an extrinsic type of, my apologies, (laughs) of uh, an extrinsic type of motivation. We're excited. Yeah. It's okay. Did did you need to cut that out or? You're right. All right. So you can have what's referred to as an extrinsic type of motivation. Um, And, you know, that's that's different because that's about an external factor in the environment, perhaps that is pushing us to or creating that source of motivation. So it might be a, you know, um, a, some sort of reward, like a financial incentive or a high salary or something yeah. like this. Or it could be fear of punishment, mm. uh, fear of shame, yeah. these types of things as well. Right. Um, the difference between the two types of motivation is that the external forms of motivation, where you're relying on some sort of external contingency out there in the environment, the motivation tends to disappear once that external factor goes away. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's an issue. It's less sustainable. Yeah. Um, it's less enjoyable as well. Mm. Uh, so the the more intrinsic, what's referred to as intrinsic motivation or internal forms of motivation, where you're you're just doing something because you love it. Yeah. Um, that's much more sustainable, much yeah. more autonomous. Yeah. Uh, volitional. Um, and yeah, tends to lead to better outcomes in terms of well-being yeah. mm. and so on. Okay. That's very interesting. How about a little bit of both? Because for some people, it's like that, right? I've got yeah. a lot of friends who talk about their work and you know why they show up at work. And it's kind of like a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. It's not like they entirely love what they're doing, but they enjoy certain aspects of it. Plus, they get good money to you know support themselves and their family. So would that be a good way to kind of go about it? And would that be sustainable as well? Absolutely. I mean, it's. I think extrinsic motivation gets picked on quite a lot. Yeah. Um, 
and because it is less optimal than yeah. the intrinsic ties, but you're never going to be intrinsic mo- intrinsically motivated to do everything. Yeah. There's always some parts of the job that we don't enjoy. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, the external, fully extrinsic type of motivation comes in really handy then because it can just get us. Yeah. Uh, or it can get us through those activities, whatever they are. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I think that's really important. So yeah. you're never going to be fully intrinsically motivated to do everything. Yeah. The other thing is... Um, it's what's referred to as internalization. So your type of motivation can start as fully extrinsic. uh, But then once we engage in the behavior or engage in the work or whatever the activity is, we can start to find enjoyment and value in it that we didn't see before. And so the motivation starts to internalize and becomes more internal over Mm -hmm. time. Interesting. An example of this is uh, I like to do running. Okay. and it was about 20 years ago, probably, that I started running. Yeah. Uh, but I, I started running because I felt a little bit guilty. You know, I saw uh, my friends doing running. Okay. You know, I, uh, I saw them going to the gym and I, I started to feel guilty. Yeah. So it was a sort of external Sorry, type yeah. of motivation, that guilt or internal pressure that I put on myself. So yeah. that got me into running. Yeah. Then I'd, I'd run, I'd go out jogging, you know, I'd see a occasionally a beautiful sunset or you know you'd see the nice autumn leaves or you just get out there in the fresh air so I really started to find enjoyment in running itself yeah and so over time I actually got really into running I started to feel my fitness start to enhance over yeah. time um and then you know eventually I started to run marathons and this this type of thing as yeah. well so um yeah so that's that's the process of internalization yeah. motivation can start as yeah really external but then internalize to become more internal over time. Yeah, yeah, that is very interesting. What a happy accident for you. You know, like <laughs> hopefully, I mean, I don't know if about everybody else, but like hopefully we can all find sort of similar happy accidents like that. Because who would say at a dinner party, oh, I just, you know, randomly fell into fitness because I, I felt guilty like you. And yeah. now I've stuck to it. It's very yes. rare, actually. And when you said you internalize it, it's kind of like, huh. Can we do that? Can we all do that? That'll be so good because, you know, we all find it so hard. Yeah. Just pick up our back or just, you know, put on our shoes, go out. So, you know, if everyone could kind of do that, that'll be really good. But then again, it depends on each person. Right? Exactly. Because again, and a lot well-being. on the environment. Yeah. yeah. Well, being is, 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 like you said earlier, it's, like, it's different for each person and it's not always about like the good side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we internalize differently is, is kind of my interpretation here. because. Yes. Yeah, for, for you is running, for other people it might be something else. That's right, yes. And different activities will be yeah. valuable to different people, absolutely. And uh, the environment matters a lot, I yeah. think. So if you've got someone, and I often see this with personal trainers, they'll, they'll be screaming at someone, you know, come on, come on, come on. And, you know, you know they're probably just starting yeah. doing exercise. I feel like that's probably the wrong approach because, uh, you know, it's not going to cultivate that sense of enjoyment. It's just going to yeah. make it really painful. <laughs> Yeah. I think in those early stages, you should be helping people enjoy the exercise. Yeah. And yeah. then through that, it might internalize, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it might not happen. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know, but my friend actually enjoys being yelled at. She came back from the gym. She's like, I got yelled at today and I was so pumped. And I was like, what? <laughs> Come again? Okay. So, you All know, right. it's different yeah. for each person, yeah, right? Like true. she yeah. likes she to be yelled at. Yeah. Exactly. I don't. So yeah. I don't go to the gym. But then, yeah. yeah. No, I don't. I yeah. don't. No, it depends I always... on each person. Yes. Yeah. And motivation. Uh, it does. I think, you know, when I was getting into running, I I gave myself permission in those early days to just walk 
occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. Um, so we stray a little bit from work. Let's go back to work motivation here. I yeah. think that's a really good example. Um, and now let's talk about it in the context of work, because in the work environment, it can be a little bit like it's, it's different because it's not like uh, you choose to do it. Sometimes there are work activities that you don't get to choose to do. And so how can we relate um, work motivation with our well-being then? Because, you know, work is very different for each person. This is like a very customized thing. And I think it, one size will not at all mm -hmm. but if you look at the big picture how can we sort of relate to these two aspects of our life yeah so i mean the, the key learning from the literature the the area that i study is that it's very important to have the right type of motivation i mean it's not going to be the whole job um, but if you can find some sort of some sort of career um something about your job that you enjoy yeah um and try and cultivate that and pursue it for those reasons rather than the the external reasons. That's going to lead to better outcomes. Um, it tends when we experience that intrinsic motivation, that intrinsic drive to to do something because we enjoy it, yeah, uh, or because we value it, perhaps. Um, you know, it tends to be less of a chore, um, so it's much less associated with things like burnout. Um, mm and the fully extrinsic types of motivation, they are much more associated with burnout because work starts to feel like a chore. You know, we're, we're not really necessarily enjoying it. So we're doing it for this external yeah. factor in the environment, whether it's a, you know, a salary or bonus or uh, some other pressure that we might be experiencing. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of different things that can push people in different directions. Um, so yeah, I guess that's the, the first thing. If you're already in a career, um, yeah, and you can't find any sort of intrinsic enjoyment in what you're doing, then I'd probably start to question whether you're in the right career and maybe consider pursuing alternatives if it's something that you can do. Yeah. Um, if it's something that you can't, uh, another area, I spoke of the book earlier, referred yeah, yeah. to as job crafting. Yeah. This is about shaping or molding a job that it's so that it is in line with your intrinsic interests and values and and this type of thing right that might be a, an option although the degree to which people can use that in different jobs depends on a range of factors like autonomy and yeah this sort of thing uh so yeah that that's an option we'll probably get onto that later i suppose but uh yeah um yeah, yeah i think those are those are really important things there was some interesting research from the gallup organization and they they uh you know look at um you know, they do a little bit of work on engagement, but, you know, motivation is obviously a big part of engagement as well. And if we're doing work because we're enjoying it, um, you know, we can work much longer hours and not feel burned out as opposed yeah. to when we're just doing work for other reasons. Yeah. We can work much shorter hours, but feel burned out. Yeah. Uh, because it feels like work. You know? yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. it is work. <laughs> but, that's right. But yeah, that, that's a good way to look at it. Does it feel like work? Because I, I remember like a long time ago when I first started my career, I talked to my uh, manager at the time, who's amazing. She, she said, you have to kind of find that in you. Like, what do you enjoy doing? And I think some people refer to it as flow. Yes. So you get into fl the flow of things really easily and you know that that's exactly what you're enjoying um, doing. And it's not just because it looks good on paper or it's not because your peer um, judge you for, you know, doing like important or, you know, like really nice work. Um, and it's like you said, very 
external factors. Yeah. Um, whereas if you really enjoy what you're doing and you forget about it and then, you know, time just goes by so quickly, then you know that there you go. That's what you're actually enjoying doing. And yeah, yeah the motivation is very much intrinsic. Yes. Yeah. And, a, you know, a flow experience. Mm. Um, so that's a heavily studied topic in the literature as well. Yeah. Um, so to have that sense of flow, and this is where you kind of feel completely absorbed in what you're doing. So time just sort of flies by and you don't realize that, you know, four or five hours have just disappeared. Yeah. Uh, intrinsic motivation is a part of that. And so if we're, that'll get us into the activity, yeah. um, you know, in the first place, and yeah. then we might experience that, that sense of flow. Very good for health and, and well-being. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And because you do so much research in this area, um, I think there's a concept called occupational well-being. Mm -hmm. And for, I mean, everyone goes to work, you know, everyone works in one way or another, even students, they do that kind of work. Um, how would you kind of define occupational well-being for the general public who might have not heard of this word before? Yeah, I mean, I view it quite similar to the general well-being that I mm. spoke of earlier. So yeah. you have the the hedonic view, which is more about feeling good. And then the eudaimonic view, which is more about positive functioning, having goals, having a purpose, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's, I just sort of take that perspective and bring it to the, the workplace. You know, do you feel good in the workplace? Uh, do you have that sense of enjoyment, um, positive emotions, all this sort of stuff um, when you go to work? Uh, but also, do you have that sense of purpose, that sense of contribution that you're giving back? Um, you're having a sense of accomplishment, perhaps. You're having people that you're connected with who you care about. They care about you. Uh, a sense of meaning in what you're doing. All these sorts of things matter as well. So I yeah. think it's very, very similar. Mm. Um, you know, you might have broader well-being, but then there's workplace well-being. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like a miniature version of it, but all the aspects are kind of the same. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay, well, that's very interesting. So how about we pick on one aspect and kind of, you know, dive deep into that. You, you talk about purpose, and this word has been mentioned quite a few times. To people that are feeling a bit disengaged, this might mean that they're maybe lacking purpose. Perhaps, yeah. Maybe. I mean, so, some of them, yeah, yeah. It might be for a variety of reasons. Um, a lot of people are disengaged, not necessarily because of um, their own choices. It could be a whole range of things. It can yeah. be you know, the leader makes a huge difference in the workplace. Yeah. The person that we're um, uh, reporting to. Yeah. In fact, the Gallup uh, organization, I'm not sure if you've heard of them. They do a lot of public yeah. opinion polling, all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. They do surveys worldwide yeah, um, yeah. looking into work engagement. Yeah. Um, they say that they can predict about 70% of someone's or a people's engagement based on asking questions about the leader. You know, ah. Is the leader supporting... Ooh, the, dangerous the territory. Yeah. You wouldn't want to be interviewed like that on live television, for example, because <laughs> you might get into the frame of answering these questions without actually thinking, oh, my job's on the line. <laughs> you know, that's also tricky. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so for, for those that are struggling, let's just kind of take in into this context, because I think our questions are pretty much frame around, you know, engagement, disengagement. Uh, but I think it would be more realistic for our listeners to to kind of envision, like you mentioned, you know, the leader is very important. Mm. Um, and then again, we work differently. Each job is very specific. It's different for everybody to kind of tackle their task day to day. Um, work motivation comes, like you said, similar to how you look at um, why you go to work and, you know, like, why is it important internally and externally? 
So given all of those factors, for someone who's struggling um, to find work motivation, could be anybody, could be any circumstance, how could you help that person to first, um, like take the first step towards, you know, maybe feeling better or improving their occupational well-being? Yeah, I'd, I'd want to find out why they're not finding the yeah. motivation. Um, so we, we refer to that in the literature as a, sort, uh, a state of a motivation. Mm. And that's where you don't have extrinsic motivation. You don't have intrinsic motivation. Okay. You've got nothing. Oh, um, dangerous. And, yeah. Well, this tends to be much more highly associated with things like, you know, depression and all the negative things. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I would want to find out why. Mm. And, and it can be for different reasons that people are in that state. Yeah. Um, so one, it might be because they're just burned out. They've got too much work and they just, they've sort of given up or whatever it might be. Another reason is because they're just not enjoying. They don't find any value or enjoyment at all in what they're doing. Yeah. And they've you know, checked out. Um, yeah. Another reason is because they might not feel competent enough to do what they, they need to do, which is a very unpleasant experience. You know, if you feel sort of out of your depth, um, or that's that perceived incompetence yeah. that I can't do what I need to do, or I'm yeah. not sure what I should be doing. Mm. Quite an unpleasant experience, um, and that can create that sense of a motivation. So I'd want to find out why. Yeah, uh, I think once you have a sense of knowing that, then you might have different options yeah. available to you. Yeah, if it's just because you're not finding any enjoyment or something yeah. like that. I'd say job crafting could help. Yeah. Uh, it might not be the panacea. Um, mm. Yeah. There's a lot of other factors that are involved. Yeah. If it's a, because you're not feeling competent, then I would ask questions about how can you increase your competence? Is there yeah. development opportunities? Can you be mentored? Can you be coached? Mm. All of these things um, yeah. I'd probably ask. Um, yeah. 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 Actually, there's a really interesting thing that happened recently to my friend who um, found a job at a very big company and you know it's like her dream job and she walked into it really excited and it's been a couple of months now I think it's been three months um, and I know that she's a really competent person mm -hmm. because you know like I've worked with her before I've heard other people giving her feedback um, but she walked into this job getting completely overwhelmed and uh, when when she mentioned the job she was saying I feel really just incompetent yeah. And I and I was a bit shocked and taken aback by that because I know that she is competent. Mm -hmm. And it feels it feels like maybe she's just overwhelmed because there's just too much for her to do. Yeah. Um that can happen. Yeah. Yeah, and I try to tell her that but she doesn't buy it. Right, so okay. again, it, this is like uh, back to kind of the solution mode. How can a person dealing with something like that help themselves? Uh yeah, I mean it could be it could be that she doesn't she, there's too much for her to do. Yeah. It could be that she's not in the right role. So there's a bit of a misfit between her skills and competencies and what's required in the job. Or maybe the job's not what she anticipated it would be, which yeah. co commonly happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I, not sure if I can give personalized <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah, this, but, this is just but, a context. Like it's something yeah. that happened and, you know, it's very close to the topic. So I was like, I'm intrigued. How can this person help themselves in the first place? Yeah, I mean, finding out why she has that experience is important, yeah. I think. Um, so is it because there is a mismatch or is mm. it because maybe you need to do some extra development? Yeah. Um, or is it perhaps that you're unsupported mm. in the organization? Um, I think these are important to know because they could create different avenues to try and solve it. If you're unsupported, then maybe 
perhaps you know you could try and ask for support or maybe be mentored or coached or, or whatever it is yeah. um yeah i think those are possibilities but it yeah. really depends yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. very personalized again but good to have some options yes. so yeah yes. maybe she's listening to this and she'll be like okay i'll try that <laughs> um hopefully she will i don't know um yeah i mean a lot of people also before we move on yeah a lot of people have those experiences they yeah. feel out of their depth um and it's not because they are incompetent. In fact, a lot of the time, the most competent people tend to have those experiences. Yes. So, uh, yeah, that's that's not uncommon at all. In yeah. fact, there's a there's a there's a whole word for it that yeah. emerged out of the literature, and it's referred to as imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And it used to be because a lot of people who were studying advanced sort of degrees, like doctoral degrees or PhDs, they would yeah. see everyone else around them and think, "Oh my God, I'm not." I'm not up to speed. I'm just, yeah. you know, these people are way further ahead than I am. Oh, that's um, exactly what she said. Right. That's exactly yeah. what you said. Yes. <laughs> she was saying that. She was saying, like, you know, like she works with like all of these people that have way more experience than she does. And, yeah. you know, they've held like really higher up roles before. And I'm like, okay, that can sound really intimidating, but it doesn't mean that you're not competent. So there you go. Yeah. That's exactly what but you've happened. You've got to start somewhere. I yeah. Think. yeah. Yes. So it sounds like maybe she's putting too much pressure on herself. But yeah, yeah I mean, yes. you, you have to work up to get yeah. that experience. Yeah. And, yeah, and to, to, Thank you. Yeah. I will tell her <laughs> right after this. I'll be calling her up and just transcribing what was happening here. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's that's really helpful. And I think a lot of people actually go through that. Um, and the other end of the spectrum, I think, is when someone is overqualified. And so they don't have... Yeah, you know that kind of work motivation because well, yes, yeah, that that well, that is another thing that can lead to that state of a motivation. Yeah, they're just bored. Yeah. Um, the work is no longer engaging. They don't find it challenging. Yeah, um, and they're done with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, that that can happen as well. Yeah, absolutely. So for those people, how can they help themselves? Well, I would be looking about how I can get a sense of challenge in what I'm doing. If there's nowhere else for you to go in that job, mm. can you maybe change jobs without changing careers? Perhaps um, that might give you that sense of challenge. Yeah. Um, or maybe career change. Obviously, there's big learning curves there because you'll have to learn an entire new <laughs> different yeah. set of skills. Yeah. Not an option for, for most people because most people have life commitments that keep them in a particular career or a yeah. particular job. True. Um, but yeah, I guess aiming high, uh, trying to, you know, set goals about how to, you know, and find ways to get there. Yeah. Um, those sorts of things will generally create a, a sense of challenge. Mm -hmm. um, and that's important, I think, because if we have challenge, then we have that sense of learning, that sense of growth. That's very important for enhancing our perceived incompetence. Yeah. Uh, our perceived competence. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd be exploring all those options yeah. as well. Yeah, that's yeah. good advice. And I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from this because, again, there are two sides of the spectrum. You know, while some people feel overwhelmed, maybe going through imposter syndrome, other people might get so bored because, you know, they're way overqualified and they've been doing the same thing for a long time without yeah. advancement opportunity, maybe. Yeah. And this might be really helpful for them. Yeah. And um, I mean, it doesn't have to be advancement as in you get promoted, but it could be that yeah. you move sideways and then have to learn something new. Yeah. Um, that's good. Yeah. All those good options. Point. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Um, so we've talked about individuals and how they can deal with these circumstances themselves. How about organizations? You know, what can organizations do to actually support them? Because, you know, we're all humans and we need support because occupational well-being is, is a part of our, you know, overall well-being. And, 
while I know that, yeah, work should be left at work, um, it does not necessarily mean that organizations can just turn their head away and be like, you take care of your own well-being because mm-hmm. work is such a big part of our lives. You know, it's at least eight hours a day in, yes. a, in a work week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. It's it's a difficult one. Um, there's so many factors that go into well-being, I think, in the workplace. Um, so things like organizational culture, uh, you know, um, there's also leadership is a huge factor as well. Do people feel supported? Um, do people feel that they have a sense of direction in what they're doing? I think all of these things are hugely important uh, for motivation, for engagement, for well-being at work. To have that sort of positive organizational culture where people feel that they're contributing to something perhaps um, or that you know people have a sense of meaning and purpose and yeah. you know they have goals, all this sort of thing. Um, or they feel at least when they're going to work that they're, you know, they're in a safe environment. It's supportive, these yeah. types of experiences. I think that's the responsibility of the organization yeah. to put all those things in place. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, people still might not reach a state of well-being. And that's because there's lots of other things that go into well-being as well. People have personal lives. Obviously, people go through divorce, all, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. All of it matters for, for well-being. And then there's yeah. not much an organization can do about that other than support the, you know, be there yeah. to support the employee. So I think that's the role of the organization. And then if they put all the conditions right, if they get all the conditions right, yeah. people feel supported, they have a sense of autonomy, they have a sense of choice in what they're doing, then intrinsic motivation, those entire internal types of motivation, work engagement, flow, perhaps these types of things tend to emerge. Um, so what they, I think the role of the organization is to provide those circumstances to allow that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I think it's definitely challenging, like you said, even though all of the stuff that you mentioned, very important, you know, all organizations should apply that. But I guess for some organization, they just don't know where to start because yeah. There's so much going with just, you know, having a work culture in the first place. Yes. Because I think, um, especially after the great resignation, right, we, we noticed that, oh, yeah, like all these organizations, they claim to have really good work culture. But what they didn't anticipate was, you know, the burnout rate um, during and after the pandemic, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and, and so I think it's also a matter of being really agile with how you shape your organizational culture. Yeah. Um, and... A big part of this is uh, the employees because they they you know they build the organizational culture with yes, the leaders. It's, it just doesn't doesn't just exist. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so yes, we do have to do all of these steps. But what would be some of the baby steps? Maybe some leaders are listening to this podcast and they're like, I want to I want to get some ideas from Gavin. You know, how can they make baby steps towards that? Yeah. So I mean, I I study leadership and it's related uh, relationship with motivation. Um, a particular style of leadership um, and it came from the motivation literature but it's what's known as autonomy supportive leadership um, or leadership that helps people satisfy their basic needs Uh, I'll get onto those in a little bit but the autonomy supportive leadership is that style of leadership where you um, you know people feel supported you're there to nurture them and help them but they also have a sense of choice and you encourage them to take initiative um, and a sense of ownership over their work. Mm. Um, and so when that happens, people tend to volitionally engage in their work a bit more uh, and they start to feel that intrinsic, those internal types of motivation. Um, you know, if you can't give a sense of choice about something, then providing a rationale about why. 
yeah. uh, is really important yeah. um, because then it, it makes it, people understand then, okay, I, I don't have a sense of choice here, but I know why. Yeah. Um, that's really important. Or just giving people a rationale about why what they're doing is important. A lot yeah. of people don't even have that. So they, you know, they go to work and they don't really have that sense of you know, what, what am I doing or what, why does it even matter? Yeah. Um, that sort of stuff. So I think those sorts of things are really important. And then, you know, if you want to increase motivation, you know, to try and create those conditions. Uh, and it's about increasing the right type of motivation, not just any type of motivation. So giving people a sense of choice, all that sort of stuff. And trying to avoid just using, you know, those external factors like rewards, incentives, yeah. punishment, some people use um yeah you know to motivate people to do the things that we want them to do i think that's the wrong the wrong way to go about it mm. Mm. yeah not to say that any rewards are always bad they're not but yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's difficult because you know like you, you can't not have reward but how do you reward people correctly i feel like mm. that could be a bit tricky as well because um sometimes perhaps organizations go this is your reward once you've accomplished x y and z um, but then once the employee has completed, you know, all of those things, they've ticked all the boxes, they feel so burnt out, they don't even want the rewards in the first place. So I, I find that to be a very tricky balance, mm. um, especially when it's such a like a day to day thing. It's not like, oh, the reward is there to motivate you. And that's all that we'll do. That's enough. Yeah, I, I don't think it is ever enough. And I feel like um, it is a very tricky thing for, for leaders and leadership yeah. is you know always constantly evolving, yeah. especially in the, you know, virtual workplace as well. So yeah, yeah I guess I think, it's a matter of learning, right? You yeah. keep to, like have to keep learning little things every single day and just not forget about the fact that workers, people, they're humans. So yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And, you know, I think those rewards and incentives, they might get motivation in the short term. Yes. To do something. Uh, it's hard to sustain that. I think people tend to want bigger and bigger rewards. Yeah. But it's also... You can use them effectively. I mean, if they're sort of given to the employee as a sense of feedback, you know, um, you know that they did a really good job on something and here's a reward, yeah. you know, that sort of thing, um, yeah. that can be useful. That okay. can help build a sense of competence. Yeah. It's difficult to do. I mean, it's difficult to get right. And there's a, there's a lot of uh, people doing research on this at the moment. But, um, yeah, so I think it's a, it's a fairly nuanced area. Yeah. But just using rewards to try and, get people to do what we want yeah um yeah is generally ineffective in yeah. terms of fostering high quality types of motivation yeah the other things that leaders can do to try and foster good types of motivation is trying to help foster a sense of competence in the employees so helping them understand you know how to perform the role better helping them understand how to develop um, perhaps mentoring coaching offering feedback that's constructive and helps yeah. them develop yeah. and advance their career. That's really important stuff mm. that a leader should be doing. Yeah. The other part of it is fostering a sense of what's referred to as relatedness, you know, that mm. people feel connected with other people at yeah. work um, and they feel that sense of, you know, support from their leader. Yeah. But also that the leader's helping them nurture relationships with other people mm. around them as much as possible. I mean, some organizations are quite small. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that is an, an important role of the leader. So the extent to which the leader can satisfy those three things, autonomy, yeah. competence, and then relatedness is really important. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's definitely trickier nowadays with, you know, remote teams because, you know, like how do you relate to a person on the screen? 
And most of the time nowadays, because everyone's so burned out from, you know, all the Zoom fatigue, they don't even want to turn the cameras on. And so, again, that's like a question of, okay, how is the leader going to motivate everyone to actually stay engaged in the conversations and get to know their colleague in the first place? Um, because as remote jobs go, it can be really easy to just, you know, finish the work or do the task without even thinking about your team. Yeah. And I feel like that's, um, yeah, that's one of the challenges that leaders can face. Yes. Mm. It's certainly more challenging in that environment. Yeah. You tend to lose those organic conversations that can, you know, you can provide feedback or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, everything is much more structured in the online world. I think you have to set up a meeting to talk to someone or, <laughs> you know, a lot of this stuff happens. Yeah. Not to say that you couldn't work within that space, just might be a bit more challenging, yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think scheduling in social time would be very helpful. Like I yeah. I've noticed that that's why my, what my team's doing, especially for the team members that are on the same time zone, they have like once a week social catch up, uh, which is very good for them. And I feel like that motivates me back to like also, you know, have social catch ups with other colleagues. Yes. Um, and we've talked about, you know, like this is important for employee engagement, but I just thought of leaders how about leaders themselves because they need to be motivated as well right mm. while they're trying to motivate their team how can they get motivated themselves uh yeah i mean a lot of it's the same thing i mean usually the leader reports to somebody and, what about uh, the people that person or the people that do not report to anybody okay well, yeah. like a ceo or something. yeah maybe <laughs> maybe someone who's a ceo is listening to the podcast well, they yeah. might be keen to find out i mean usually the ceo is accountable to the board i suppose but uh, i mean we've actually done research on this as well uh, yeah. um do do ceos or very senior leaders have that perception of control or autonomy from either the executive team or the board um you know, to which they're accountable at the end of the day. And a lot of them don't feel that sense of autonomy, mm. um, which is really interesting. But the, th the one thing that a leader can do or someone in that sort of position can do is that they usually the CEO is a part of the board. Um, so they can go in and actually have conversations with people that influence the way they're managed in the first place. Yeah. So they might ask for, you know, I need more autonomy to do X, Y, and Z or or whatever it may, it probably sounds a lot different like that when the actual conversation takes <laughs> yeah. place. Yeah. But but they yeah. can have those types of yeah. conversations to try and create the conditions themselves that they need because they have that sort yeah. of autonomy, they have that power yeah. in the, the first place. Even people who are lower down, um, you know, obviously not at the executive level or the CEO level, um, they can do a little bit of that as well. And we've studied that. So if people don't feel they have autonomy in the workplace, they might be able to strike up a conversation with the person who's managing them Yeah. and ask for, you know, is it all right if I, um, you know, have more decision-making autonomy to do X, Y, and Z, or if I, is it, can I do right. this, this, and this? Yeah. Um, they can start to have those conversations to try and create more of that autonomy supportive approach in yeah. the leader. Yeah. Um, and that does happen as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, like trying to get work motivation and it, it just kind of reminds me the whole conversation has been about staying at your job, right? But then there's also another story where you've done everything you could. You've tried all the tips that Gavin gave you, but then it doesn't work. So you move on. So, you know, that that normally how, how it goes, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah if you if you, you tried try. everything and, yeah. and you still 
you can't stand it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then, then I think exploring other exactly. options. Yeah. But is, then, yeah, that, it's it's always good to rem to remind people that you know, like you you try everything you can in the context of what you have, but then you know, at the end of the day, you always have a choice. Yeah. Um, and you do what's best for your well being because we're talking about well being, right? We don't yeah. want people to burn themselves out just for a job, um, especially because life's much more than just work. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I guess the beauty of the the current climate is that the unemployment low rate is very low there's a demand for workers basically everywhere so yeah. people have a lot more choice in what they do yeah um that probably won't last forever but it's mm. a good time at the moment yeah, yeah. interesting mm. interesting time so i think we've covered everything in terms of the research and uh the questions about like the theoretical side of thing now what we would love to do is talk about a practice so mm -hmm. get really practical and in this context we want to ask for your opinion about your personal practice or habit how do you motivate yourself to work so for me i this is another research area of mine so um but you know i try and practice what i do research on <laughs> yeah but good to uh, know <laughs> thank you and then uh so there's um i spoke of rob baker in his book about job crafting yeah uh, job crafting is a research interest of mine because it is related to motivation. Yeah. Job crafting is about shaping the job in such a way that it's more in line with our interests, our passions, our values, our own needs, uh, and this type of thing. So, uh, when we do this, it tends to create better outcomes for the employee. So job crafting is related to well-being and engagement, intrinsic motivation, this type of thing. Uh, so there are three different types of job crafting. Um, so there's what's referred to as task crafting, where you shape or change or influence the actual tasks that make up the job. Yeah. Uh, there's what's referred to as relational crafting. And this is where you try and change the nature of the relationships that you have at work. Yeah. Uh, maybe get to meet new people or expand your social mm. circle yeah. in the workplace. Mm -hmm. uh, are possibilities. And then there's what's referred to as cognitive crafting and this is how we think about the job okay um so a lot of people go to work and they don't actually think about the impact that they have um or um you know the positive contribution that they're making either to the organization or to perhaps society depending on the nature of the job so these are types of things that you can do to try and create more sort of intrinsic motivation to do the job yeah. um and lead to more engagement and, and that type of thing mm -hmm. yeah so job crafting is, yeah. is uh, something that I try and practice. Yeah. yeah, but but then you've talked about the research. How about the actual practice of it? How do you do that in practice? Okay, so that's a good question. Um, it looks very different in all types of jobs, but my jobs, I mean, my, my job as a, an academic, um, yeah. I do 40% teaching, 40% yep. research, 20% yep. is what's referred to as leadership and service. Um, yep. So we might, you know, sit on committees, all this sort of stuff. Um, do podcasts, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, for me, um, it's about just cr trying to create all those different elements more enjoyable. Yeah. So an example of where I've done this is, uh, you know, my colleague and I were having a, a very organic discussion just, you know, by the water cooler at, yep. at, at work, yep. uh, pre COVID obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so we we're have, having a discussion about the subjects that we offer and we thought, we don't really have anything where we teach about, you know, sport or performance or, you know, I mean, we touch on these things okay. in our subjects, but we don't have a subject that's dedicated to that. Yeah. Um, and then we thought, okay, well, let's introduce one. Okay. And so that's what we did. We wrote a subject, developed a curriculum, um, 
and then we rested a subject that wasn't doing as well. I mean, it was still popular, but uh, it was less engaging to teach it. Yeah. Um, and so we brought in this new subject that's actually done really well at the, the university. It's quite popular. It gets really good feedback from students. Yeah. And it's probably because we're actually motivated and enjoy teaching it. It's about yeah. stuff we're interested in. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's an example of, uh, you know, we introduced something. It wasn't needed, but we did mm. it because it was it struck an interest with us. Yeah. Um, and uh, and because of that, it yeah. helped us do it well. Yeah. And I think that's what job crafting tends to look like. A, bit, a lot of people are a little bit worried, especially leaders, when they, you know, you try and encourage people to do job crafting because they might think, oh, you know, it's it's the employee going a bit rogue. Yeah. You know, what if they just go off and do their own thing? Yeah. Well, it's not really what's involved usually. I mean, usually job crafting is, you know, it's related to performance or positively related performance, which means the more job crafting you do, the better your performance tends to be. Yeah. Um, and that's prob probably a reason because, you know, that subject more popular from the university's perspective. So that helps the university. It was more engaging for us to teach it. Uh, so that helps us as staff and the students probably learned more because we were teaching it better. Yeah. So it's sort of something that helps ticks all boxes usually. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So that's an example. Yeah. The, the way they discovered job crafting was not in uh, an academic profession. It was actually with hospital cleaners. Oh. This is going back about 20, 25 years ago now in Michigan okay. in the United States. Yeah. What happened? So they were doing research with hospital cleaners. Yeah. And they were asking them about how they you know, find meaning in their job. Yeah. And they were in, um, you know, this one room, there was this man, he was in a coma. Um, he'd been hit by a car, I think, after, you know, while he was out jogging. So he was sitting in his room, well, laying in a bed in the room, I should say, um, uh, you know, in a coma. And they noticed that there was this hospital cleaner, you know, changing the pictures on okay. the walls. Oh. Um, they were interested. So they started just observing this person and, the, you know, the person would put up a, a picture, a painting, whatever it was. Okay. Have a look at it and then bring it down pick up another one, put up, you know, another painting and yeah. have a look to see what it looked like and, you know, eventually found the right painting and, and then left it. And they struck up a conversation and okay. know, were like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? And they were like, uh, the person who was doing it said, you know, well, I'm a hospital cleaner, mm. um, you know, and it's my job to take care of the patients in here. So, mm. you know, take the person sitting here, for example, in the, in the coma or lying down in the coma you know, when he wakes up, I want him to see beautiful things when he wakes up. Yeah. And so that's what they were doing to, to help mm. that. So they brought these pictures yeah. in from home Yeah. Um, to do wow. that. That's an example of job craft. That's dedication. It is. Yeah. But that's what it looks like, you yeah. know, and it's adding these extra things into the role. It's not really considered, it's not a part of the job description. Yeah. Um, but it helps create that nice feeling when you go to work. It helps yeah. create that sen that positive drive to do the job. Mm. Um. Other things they were doing, you know, if they saw that a patient, for example, not that patient, but any any patient hadn't had a visitor for a while, they might go up and try and keep them company because they knew it would help the, the healing process, for example. Yeah. These are hospital cleaners, you know, it's not part of their job usually to do that. So, yeah, they would do all these types of things and it tended to be associated with their engagement. So the people who were doing more of these behaviors tend to be much higher in work engagement than the ones who weren't. The ones who just viewed it as a job, you know, I go there, I clean. I start at this time, I end at this time, and then I leave. And yeah, yeah they were much less engaged. Mm. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that, that sounds to apply to all professions. And I know you gave your example in the academic context. There's the, you know, example from the hospital back in the day. 
Um, but I guess we can all learn from this and, you know, Im improve on our work motivation by, you know, applying job crafting when we can. Um, I guess it applies to all kinds of jobs, all kinds of people who are working. How about the time? How do we make time for it and how often should we do it? Well, I guess that's the beauty of job crafting. It's not necessarily something you have to add into your job yeah. um, to find a time to do. It's not like, for example, mindfulness or meditation or what a lot of people do, which um, which does have a lot of positive benefits, I must say. Um, that's something that you have to find the time to do. You yeah. might set aside half an hour or 40 minutes or however long uh, to try and do it. Job crafting is more something that's naturally integrated into the job itself. So it's about making those subtle changes yeah. to make your job better yeah so the difficulty with job crafting is finding the opportunity and knowing where to start and knowing what to right. do yeah yeah so that can take a little bit of exploratory work yeah yeah and it's not obvious a lot of the time so yeah yeah we off you know if we're doing workshops or that sort of thing mm. we'll spend some time to you know get get people to like write down what what their job is at the moment so all yeah. the things that make up their job yeah and then we would generally ask them what would your ideal job, you know, assuming you're staying in this job, what would the ideal job look like? And they mm -hmm. would write down all those things. Yeah. Okay. How do we get from A to B? Yeah. <laughs> what are some short-term goals that you could implement immediately? Yeah. Uh, and usually these aren't very big. It might be just trying to meet new people. Yeah. Um, you know, increase the social circle or you know, whatever it might be. Uh, think about the impact that we're having at work. Yeah. These are things that don't require big changes at all, can be done pretty much straight away. Mm. Um, or it could be more long-term yeah. stuff that does require planning as well. Yeah. So both of them, I think, are really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I spoke about the subject that we introduced. That was something that we had to put that through the university committee and had to go through yeah. academic board. It sounded simple, it's not. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. it took time. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's not something that we could just go in and, and do it straight yeah. away. Yeah. yeah. So it, a lot of it does take planning those sorts of changes but yeah. yeah i mean the other stuff like uh thinking about the job yeah thinking about how we're impacting people or the mm. organization that you know for whom we're working or for which we're working for these are stuff that we can pretty much do straight away yeah yeah well, i guess it's important to bear in mind like you said your example even though you told a story in five minutes it didn't take five minutes to accomplish and so for anyone who wants to improve on their work motivation they also need to kind of keep that in mind yep, you might find something that you really want to try and do and you know, that might make you feel better and more engaged at work, but that might mean a lot of time, lots of, lots of commitment and, mm. you know, it takes a while to actually make it happen. But then you, once you've accomplished that, you know, that your work engagement might increase and, you know, that's the outcome that we want. Yeah. 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 I mean, and sometimes it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy to make the change. Yeah. It might involve extra work or extra effort or whatever it is. Um, yeah. But, you know, if it, and sometimes it might not work. You know, yeah. you might try it and think, no, that 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 didn't work. Uh, I won't do that again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's fine. But at yeah. least now, you know, and yeah. you can try other things. So I guess that exploratory, yeah. you know, those exploratory behaviors are really important to yeah. try and find what Absolutely. works for people. Yeah. Yeah. But at least people have to test it out because otherwise they won't know. Yeah. Um, and I think another very important thing is when they feel that tingling sense of, um, I don't know, motivation or idea, they need to act upon it. Mm. Otherwise, it might fade away, they might forget about it, and then the work motivation that could have been gained sort of disappears. And it's such a shame because I see that happening a lot. Like there's a 
maybe there, there would be a colleague of yours that mentioned, oh, I have this great idea. And then you're like, that's so great. Act upon it. And like, I'll do it. And then, you know, they go home, they forget about it. And then five years later, they're like, oh, I wish I had done that. Yeah. You know, that would have made me so much more engaged. So I think like little things add up as well. And um, it is a good practice, but how you go about it is very important because yeah. it's nice to talk about, but if you yes. don't, you know, find the right way to go about it, it can be such a shame. Of a that's loss. right. Yeah. Yeah. Strike while the iron's hot, as they say. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there you go. Yeah, and I think that that does play a role. You know, you've got to try and take the opportunities when they're there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. and really try and find what those are. Okay, yeah. that's great. And for people that are interested in you know improving their work motivation, great. Now they have the idea of job crafting. Mm -hmm. What would they combine it with then? Um, maybe something smaller would there be any any other practice they can combine with on a day-to-day -day basis so that they feel more motivated um i guess something that it is related to would be strengths use um so if you think about what are your strengths you know either strengths of character or strengths is in areas of talent or skill yeah. or whatever it is uh strengths are defined in slightly different ways but um if you just think about that you know where are areas that in which you are strong yeah um, how could you focus more on those? Yeah. Because when we play to what we're good at, I suppose, yeah. um, and there's some research on this as well, tend to be better functioning at work and we tend to be higher in engagement. Yeah. Um, the Gallup organization Gallup actually does. A, yeah. Well, they have their own yeah. survey about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they, they're big, they're quite big on this. You know, they, yeah. they say playing to your strengths mm. is, uh, is something that will help foster engagement and people that don't have the opportunity to do what they're best at, yeah. you know, during their work day, they tend to be l lower in engagement. Um, and they have some data to show that. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, strengths use is related to job crafting because it might be related to, you know, task crafting. Yeah. You, know, you, you try and influence the job in such a way that you can deploy more of your strengths mm. at work. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if your strengths are in, relationships or building relationships or people you know that sort of thing it could be more of the relational aspects of the job as well yeah so i'd say that's probably something that i would consider combining yeah. it with yeah yeah it's very much related to strengths yeah yeah that sounds like the baby steps we need right because mm. you said task crafting and then it'll be job crafting so yeah you know the small step and then the big steps yeah very helpful yeah yeah, yeah sure great so if, if you're listeners are interested there are surveys out there where they can yeah. try and measure their strengths the gallop is an option yeah. to, i think you have to pay to do that one though it's not expensive it's about 10 or 15 dollars per person or something oh, like that yeah i feel like um, i have done it and it's not it doesn't cost anything i can't remember exactly well, there's there's another one okay which is yeah referred to as the might the, be another one then yeah mm. the, the via or the values in action Ooh, survey of one. signature strengths yeah. this one came out of the university of pennsylvania although i think they have now a separate organization yeah called the via institute and yeah. they just google that they can go and it's about 130 questions or something like that yeah and it's free but it's strengths of character so it might mm. say your strengths are, they'll give you a top five yeah um you know depending on how you respond to the survey they might say okay your strengths are in kindness um you know critical thinking curiosity mm. or a passion for learning this yeah. sort of thing yeah yeah so how can you use more of those things on the job yeah yeah very good step because you know I, I think a lot of people have not tried this before at all Mm. Even though, like, it's such an important thing nowadays, and I've I've heard so many people talk about it. You gotta know your strength, know your you know personality type. Yeah, a lot of people don't know. So you know, at least an action item after today, once they've listened to this, if they haven't already, find out about their strengths 
and start from there because that might help them with their work motivation. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I think it would definitely help. Um, yeah, I mean, we're usually strong in an area for a reason because mm. we're, we're more interested in it or we're passionate about it. Yeah. Um, so it tends to be much more related to that intrinsic motivation, engagement, flow, yeah. these types of things. Yeah. yeah, great. Okay, so that's our practice section. We've been practical. I think that's very helpful. It's been helpful for me. Hopefully it's helpful for our listeners. Um, and now we have this section where we got our audience to submit some questions about the same topic that we've just been talking about. Maybe there are some things we haven't covered and it's you know personalized to some people. Um, I find these questions to be particularly interesting. Okay, I'll I think, do my best. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure you'll do fine. Uh, I think one of the most interesting question is, I think everyone talks about this. It's not a new question. How should I motivate myself to work when I don't feel like it? Yeah, well, that's a tough question. <laughs> Very well, tough. I, I would say um, that that goes back to what we were saying about that state of a motivation. Yeah. Um, if you're just not motivated to do the job, I would be asking why. Why? Why don't I want to do it? Yeah. Is it because you're burned out? Mm. Uh, you've got too much. Mm. Is it because you feel that you don't have the right skills, or is it just a mismatch between you know what you are interested in and the job, or what you're skilled at? Yeah. what the job requires, those sorts of things. I'd be finding that out. Yeah. Um, and then once you know, or once you have an idea, then you can try and use different strategies to try and get out of it. If it's an air, you know, if you feel out of your depth or lacking in competence and that you need some sort of development, then perhaps you can pursue something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's really important to go back to why. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. But I'm, I'm in front of my computer now. I've got a list of things to do. I don't want to do any of it. And I, I'm going to I'm going to sit down and think about what you just said. I'm going to like try to list, you know, like the reasons why I might be feeling like I don't want to do it. OK, I have found a solution, but I think this solution cannot be applied straight away today. Yeah. Now I have this list of tasks to do. What's the first step that I should do then? So, OK, so speaking about the tasks mm -hmm. uh, rather than the job. Yeah. Okay. Let's just say I have a list of tasks, but I just don't don't want to do any of that. OK. Um, well, there's there's always going to be some tasks mm -hmm. that you don't enjoy doing or you're just not yeah. motivated to do at all. You know, I have them. Everyone has them. Yeah. It's part of any job usually. Yeah. Um, yeah sometimes we just have to suck it up and do it, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. That's when the extrinsic types of motivation come in and say, well, if I, if I don't do this, there's going to be some sort of consequence. Either someone else is going to have to do it and I would feel bad. Yeah. So at least I'm saving that person time. So you can mm -hmm. think about it like that, perhaps. Um, or, you know, maybe, you know, um, you just sometimes have to find a way to do it. So, uh, you yeah. know, it's going to help you in the end. Maybe it's going to build a positive image of you in the workplace. Yeah. Um, yeah. So these might be different motivators, that mm -hmm. extrinsic motivators that might get you through those yeah. tasks. There might be opportunities to delegate some parts of your work, <laughs> you know, if yeah. you have that yeah. capacity, perhaps not everyone has that. A lot of people don't. Yeah. Um, and then the people you work for probably wouldn't enjoy working for you that much because <laughs> you're giving them all the, the yeah. crappy work. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I yeah. guess there's a range of options. But yeah. yeah, sometimes I think we just have to mm. just dig in and do yeah. it. <laughs> well, I think what what I find to be helpful, just, you know, because it's like a really good question from the audience and what I find helpful for me, maybe this will help them, is in the context of virtual office, I feel like sometimes you're in front of your computer and you're like, oh, another list of tasks I have. What I wouldn't normally try 
to have that sense of connection. Maybe this is because of a remote uh, work condition. Maybe I'm not sure what exactly happened with the person that asked the question. Um, but you could grab a colleague and be like, "Hey, should should we do a virtual office?" Mm. So you can do that boring task while chatting about your life. Yeah. Yeah. Or chatting about your work, even yeah. like just uh, you know an area that you want to do some brainstorming on, and I found that to be very helpful, at yeah. least for me. I didn't well, want to do know, any of that, but you know, I saw my colleague, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to do some work now. Mm. Yeah. Well, in some ways, I guess that's a form of job crafting. You're sh you're shaping the job so it helps yeah. work for you better. Yeah. Um. So yeah, absolutely. I'd mm. be exploring if there is a way to craft this in such a way that it actually makes that task more enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, that would be the first thing I would probably be doing. If, you know, if I can't do that, then yeah, I'm, yeah. sometimes you just have to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, another question I find to be also very good is for some people, their day-to-day -day task is the exact same. Yeah. And this question goes, are there any tips on how to maintain my motivation, especially if I'm doing the same task over and over again for days? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a harder one. Um, so we do have those occupations that, you know, they're more rigid, mm. um, they're less autonomous, or there's less autonomy or scope to do what we, you know, or to have that freedom to do the things we want to do. Yeah. That certainly does exist. Um, you still can do job crafting even in the most routinized or rigid job. Yeah. Um, and I'd say this is where that cognitive part comes in. Mm. So it's changing the way we think about the job. There's people who do research on how to make work more playful. So maybe they, you know, try and create competitions somehow, mm. assuming there's no safety protocols that are going to be breached <laughs> or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, this has actually been studied, you know, people who do sort of create those sort of internal games to try and make it more competitive and have that sort of inject that sort of enjoyment into the job. Yeah. Um, and that tends to be uh, related to work engagement. Um, so the more people can do that, the better. Yeah. Um, you know, if that's not an option, um, I'd say thinking about why you're doing, there's always a reason you're doing it. People <laughs> yeah. aren't just asking you to do it and paying you to do it for no reason yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. So True. it always has some sort of impact and some yeah. sort of benefit. So I'd yeah. say trace that impact. Yeah. Where does it benefit people? Yeah. And start to think about those. Mm. And it might help them increase, uh, you know, I guess the meaning associated with the work a bit more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the most, I think the pandemic sort of helped show us this. Mm. A lot of the most important jobs to keep society going were the ones that, you know, you don't go to university for eight years to study, uh, to do, you know, um, but they're, they're crucial. Yeah. Um, so keep working in a supermarket, uh, you know, truck driver, logistics, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Are really important to keep society going. Yeah. And, you know, if you're just thinking about the tasks, you're going to miss that picture a little bit yeah so thinking about yeah what does it do what is my role what mm. is how do i contribute yeah. yeah oh my gosh that reminded me this reminds me of the time i went on a tram and the tram driver decided upon himself that he would be our tour guide of the day okay yeah. so you <laughs> know tram that, driver yeah. same route so yeah. he was like how do i make this job more fun for me I was born to be a, I don't know, like a travel agent, but I couldn't make it happen. So now I'm going to do it on this tram. So I, I don't remember the exact route, but he was basically giving everyone a historical tour of what happens on this route. Yeah. Basically like in this year, this happened yeah. on the street, you know, like that's town hall, whatever. And I just, I, initially I didn't hear because I was on my headphones, but then 
when I had to listen for the stop, I found that to be hilarious. Yeah. And I found him to be brilliant. Yeah. Because he's enjoying his day so much. That's right. Yeah. Much more than people that have maybe, you know, higher paying jobs or, you know, jobs that seem more fun on the surface. Yeah. So I think that's job crafting. That is that job is crafting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I have seen that before as well. Yeah. I've seen train drivers, um, you know, talk driving or not driving, but. What, what do you call it? What are the train drivers? I guess they I are driving. driving. Um, you know, going past the MCG. Okay. Talking about the games that are going to be on. Oh, really? And all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and hilarious. But it was funny because, you know, you're sitting yeah. in the, the carriage. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone's there on, either on their yeah, phone yeah. or their yeah, book. Yeah. But then when this happened, everyone sort of looked up. And yeah. People were different. smiling. Yeah. yeah. So it, had, it sort of created that sense of connection between yeah. people in yeah. the train as well. It was, yeah. really, it was really nice. Yeah. 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 So perhaps, you know, the person who asked this question can kind of look at their job in the same way. It is repetitive. But, you know, what? how can I make it fun for other people that might benefit from what I'm doing? Yes. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think that'll be a nice way to approach it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, it's always nice when yeah. something like that happens. I think that's a fun note to end this. Okay. Yeah. Um, and finally, before we let you go, we have the final section. We call it open mic. I've talked to you about it earlier. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure besides work motivation, besides your current research, there must be some other things that you're passionate about. This is your platform. <laughs> Our audience is listening. Go for it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's difficult. I've spent so much time working. I think that, uh, I mean, I'm most passionate about my job. But if I have to pick stuff that that's not to do with, with work, I'd guess it would be travel. Mm-hmm. Um, I love watching movies. You know, I spoke about Star Wars, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, I really enjoy those. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I guess, and exercise and, mm-hmm. um, you know, running. I've ran, I think, 11 marathons now. I haven't done one in a while since my son was born. Mm. I can't run as much these days, but yeah, uh, yeah I, I do. I am passionate about that stuff as well. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, there you go. Marathons. Something (laughs) for people to try. Yeah. Maybe they'll get into it. I haven't done one since 2016 was the last time. So I want to, I want to get back. It's a good, it's a good reason to travel. Yeah. Try and find a marathon that is in a interesting city or a city you haven't explored and then run around the the city. It's a nice way to see a city. Yeah. But you had other reasons to, you know, other things to be passionate about, like your son. You know, yes, that's, that's also another thing to be passionate oh, about parenting yeah, right yeah. um so parenting yeah, you, you know yeah my wife and son uh you know family friends all of that yeah of course yeah, yeah there you go so different passions different areas but mm-hmm. good to know that you're very passionate about work which is why you're the right person <laughs> to talk about work motivation today and thank you so much for joining us here in the studio we're really excited and have been learning a lot and i hope our audience have you're welcome i'm glad to be here so thanks for having me You've been listening to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by the Wellbeing Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at we.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Lu Ngo. Thanks for tuning in.